for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that, according to the riches of this of his glory he may he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ will may dwell in your hearts through faith that you will that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all uh, the fullness of God now it's time now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Jesus in Christ Jesus throughout throughout all generations forever and ever amen you may be seated generations, forever and ever. It's nothing that we can do, is it? That's a promise that God gives that He intends to fulfill. Throughout all generations, His name will be praised. That's a promise that God gives that He intends to fulfill. (laughs) He, he, He gives promises and He keeps them, every one of them. And that's a promise that God gives that He fully intends to fulfill in your generation, in the generation that is here, that's coming behind us, that their generation might even see a greater, greater work than we've seen. That we would be a part of something vastly more significant than we could ask, imagine, or think. So, we've been in this series, Knowing God, and we're coming to our conclusion, not this week, but next week. And as we've been in this series, we've been asking God to show us more of himself in prayer. You you see, Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3 is a prayer that we would go to God for knowledge, but we would also go to God for experience. In Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer that Paul prayed was that we would know God better. If you were to summarize Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, it was that we would know God better. In an intellectual sense, that our mind, we would love God with our mind, that we would grasp the significance of this mighty and majestic and holy God. And here the prayer begins to shift, that we would experience God's love. That, that God's love would be experienced. Do you know you can't really define love with a textbook answer? <laughs> you, you can't really define it. it it's something that, that seems like we're chasing after it, but we all need it. I, I think that that's something that's common in all of humanity. We want to be happy and we want to be loved. We want to be happy and we want to be loved. If we can have those two things, the world just seems really, really right, doesn't it? But, but here the apostle. He, he points us to a greater love that can't 
be experienced anywhere else in the whole wide world but through God. That we would know that kind of love. And he says that your hearts would be rooted in that love. He gives an example of horticulture. And he gives an example of architecture. That we would be rooted and built up in that love. Before the love grows up, it's got to grow down, doesn't it? Because the soil, the soil that the Christian life is grown in is the soil that can only be found in the love of God. That's the roots that Paul wants to see. The foundation. Before a building can go up, there needs to be a foundation And before the building could be made higher, that foundation has to be made more secure. Paul wants, in this prayer, those roots to grow deeper and that foundation to grow more secure. And how does it happen? Well, it happens on the basis of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that love of God in Christ Jesus is the love that Paul wants us to know about. That's our hearts would comprehend that, that we would grasp that today. Do you know what I've been praying for today is that you wouldn't leave with more knowledge, but even today, you'd leave with an experience that our lives would be built upon that love. Could, could you feel it when you're seeing that? That our lives would be built upon that love? Build my life. So when Carrie and I were engaged, we talked a lot about marriage uh, and, and what the marriage would hold. We talked a lot about our, our dreams and aspirations. And one of the things about my wife that was just, I, I thought, attracted me so much to her is she loved kids. Like she loved all kids. Her passion was to go on mission trips and hold these kids. I remember we went to Sao Paulo and we went to an orphanage. And and one of the things that my wife found to be a treasure in that moment was just holding these children and praying over them. And it was a, a beautiful thing because I wanted to have kids and she wanted to have kids, start a family. And, and there's, you know, that that. That sounds like a good idea to me. Let's get married and let's have kids. She wants the kids. I might want something else, but hey, it leads to the same thing, doesn't it? And so we were, we were planning on, on having these children. And, and, then, and then as time went on, we realized that um, the blessing would not come as soon as we'd wanted it. And so we, we began to pray for the children that God would give us. We begin to, to pray that whether we adopted children, whether we had children of our own, we begin to pray for them. And I remember reading the Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, written by King David, he says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully And wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me. My unformed substance. In your book were written. Every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. That psalmist 
tells that there's the love that God has for his children from before the foundations of the world. Before my children were even conceived, I loved them. I knew them. And they were growing up in an environment in the soil of love right now. We prayed for them. We wanted them to be rooted in that love. We wanted them to be grounded in that love. And that environment of love started as we prayed for our children. My my children are are not the fruit of the body, but the fruit of prayers. And so are yours. So are yours. Because they're the fruit of God's love. Not just your children, but you. 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 You were formed and knitted together in the rich soil of God's love from before the foundations of the world. And so when we talk about loving God today, we're going to have a a little bit of a different um, sermon today in that we're going to have this sermon broken up into three different chunks. When we talk about the love of God today, I think it's first important to know that that while God does call us to love him. He has written in the book of life that it's not we that love God first, but God has loved us first. First John 419 says we love because he first loved us. That ultimately the love of God found us. It wasn't us that found the love of God. It was the love of God that found us. And how did the love of God find us through God sending his son to chase after us? To go after those who are far from God and to bring them into the prodigal father's home before the father who loved them and gave himself up for them. This is the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I want you to know that God's love for you is not dependent upon anything of you. God's love for you is based upon the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only thing that God asks for us is to believe in that. That we would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave His life so that we could be loved by God the Father. Because God's love does come with a certain condition. And the conditions of God's love are are that we would be perfectly obedient But we can't be perfectly obedient. So the love of God comes for us with those conditions being met by God's perfect son who loved us and gave himself for us. That we would be rooted in that love, that we would know that there is no love that's greater than that. And today that our lives would be built upon that love. He says that he would dwell in our hearts through faith. Our hearts are not an Airbnb. (laughs) We're not renting them out. Our hearts are a place where Christ resides. And as Christ resides in our hearts today, guess who's the one doing the building right now? By the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within you, he is building your life upon God's love. So maybe you're here and you've been far from God. Maybe you're here and, and you've, been, you've been chasing after a, another type of love. 
I want to believe, I want you to believe with me by faith that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to give you a perfect love that you would know, not otherwise experience or know. That we would abide in that love. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we continue to worship through song. And as I do that, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. It's the proof of God's love. That he laid down his life. That he took the cross. The foundation and the roots of love start with us looking at the foundations and roots of love at the cross of Christ. Knowing that love is the incomparable love that God has for you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, It is an honor to have an opportunity to uh, be with you today and to talk about what is uh, probably about as good a topic as I could talk about, which is the love of God. Um, I have to admit, though, from the outset that mine is an impossible task. Um, Paul says in the 19th verse here that he prays that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So he admits that the, the love of God is something that he wants them to know, but also something they can't really achieve a knowledge of. It's like an ocean that's infinitely deep, and they can swim a little deeper than they did last time, but they're never going to explore the full depths of it. And so it's not a possible task, but it's one that's worth pursuing. So, so let's use this time and pursue it together. I also, I love that Paul admits by the very nature of this prayer, um, he admits that we can know something without really fully knowing it, um, because that's just our experience. Um, we can all relate to that. How many of you, um, if I said, do you believe God loves you? I think almost every hand in here would go up. We all believe that God loves us. Um, And yet there's a sense in which we don't fully live in light of that. I can wake up in the morning and believe that. And then I go and I get a parking ticket and I completely forget it. (laughs) And I can go through an entire day not reflecting on that. I'm like a man who has won the lottery and and the, the cash prize is waiting for me, but I can't pick it up for a week. And then I go about this week stressing about my bills. That we all have this infinite love of God for us. uh, But many times we live... Um, just without that recognition. So, like Paul, what we're left to do is, is pray that God would somehow, through his spirit, give us power to grasp in a deeper way his love for us today. So, to begin, as we kind of meditate on God's love for us, um, I want to take us to Psalm 103. Um, Because it talks about the dimensions of God's love as well. It says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Kids, you're with us today. Um, How high are the heavens above the earth? You all know, they're infinitely high. You could climb on a rocket ship, and you could accelerate to the speed of light in literally any direction, and you would never exhaust the dimensions of the heavens. But actually, modern science is actually, the the prevailing theories of modern science are that not only is space infinite, but it's expanding. That the heavens, the heavens, the universe, is literally the largest, most sweeping metaphor Paul possibly could have used for the love of God. And it's the one that he chose. There's nothing bigger than 
all created things, this infinite, unending, expanding universe. And that's what Paul used. But you only see the dimensions of the heavens if you look up. Like we live on this world and, and, and that's, this goes back to the reality of our experience that many times we just live on this world and we don't pay mind to the heavens and we can just as easily not pay mind to God's love for us and, and not realize that we're swimming in this ocean of, of his love that's rooted in Christ. But the, if we want to know more about God's love, um, that, that passage tells us of it, but the place where it's shown is the cross. And so that's, that's where we're going to look now because the cross is the place, the Bible says, God demonstrates his love for us on the cross. And I want you to start off by just recognizing with me that the cross is utterly solitary. Completely, it stands alone as the, as the greatest singular act of love that has ever been demonstrated on this earth. There's nothing else remotely like it. Like we use sometimes metaphors or analogies to try to feel the weight of the cross, but none of them could possibly compare. Um, there are many examples of people sacrificing their lives for others. Um, there are stories of missionaries going into leper colonies and willingly taking on leprosy so that they could bring the gospel to those people. There's examples of soldiers dying in war to protect their countrymen with uh, valor and bravery. There's examples of fathers laying down their lives for their children. But the thing with all of those examples, all those analogies, is that all those people were going to die anyways. Death has a grip over all of us. It's, a, it's like a chain around our neck. We, we can't really give up our lives because it's not ours to begin with. We have a loose grip on it and it's fleeting and we are all going to die. The one exception is Jesus. He was the only person who ever lived who death had no rights whatsoever over him. He could have gloriously in holiness, joy, pleasure, honor, praise endured for all of eternity and never tasted the least drop of suffering. And that is not true of any other example of sacrifice that we find on this earth. Jesus was not, he did not have to die. And it's not just that he didn't have to die. He didn't have to suffer in any way. He could have, um, when, when mankind rebelled initially, he could have gloriously vindicated his honor by judging mankind and starting over. He didn't have to enter into suffering, but he did. And he didn't just take on suffering, he took on the lion's share of suffering. None of us have ever suffered like Jesus suffered. Many men have suffered anxiety. But Jesus sweat drops of blood. Who among us can claim that? The level of his anxiety is something we will never know or experience. Many men have suffered guilt, but Jesus became sin for us. and suffered the full weight of it. Many men have faced physical pain, but who among us can even relate to the pain of crucifixion on the cross? The most painful death that humanity has invented. Many men have suffered weakness, but feel the weight of the fact that Jesus, as the, the king of the earth, who made all things by the word of his power, who all things were made through him, he could not physically carry the weight of the cross up to Golgotha, and he needed help from Simon of Cyrene to carry it. 
It's not that Jesus lacked the willpower or the strength. He was physically beaten to the point of just this complete weakness that we can't even relate to, even though he was entitled to all power. Jesus suffered shame like we'll never experience. That as king of the universe, he was hung naked on a cross, spat on, abused, mocked by the crowds. And to this day, ever since, his name is jeered around the earth by many. Jesus suffered betrayal like we'll never experience. Many men have suffered betrayal, but none of us have loved our betrayers more than Jesus loved Judas. And so the weight of that's more than what we're ever going to feel. None of us have loved our betrayers more than Jesus loved Peter who denied him out of fear. The weight of what he endured is more than what we'll ever face. Many men have felt the silence of God, but none have felt it as heavily as Jesus. when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus do it? He was entitled to an existence, an eternal, glorious existence, completely free of any drop of suffering, and yet he took upon himself greater suffering than anyone on earth will ever experience. Some of us, we lose faith. We, we doubt God when we endure something that is so mild compared to what he endured. We think, how could God love me if, if he allows this to happen? And we miss that God took the lion's share on himself. That Jesus endured that suffering for you. He didn't do it for glory because he had that already. He didn't do it for eternal riches because he already had everything. He didn't do it for his, his father's praise and approval because he could have had that anyways. He did it because he loved you. It says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and he scorned its shame. And that joy set before him, it, it included the, the, the eternal joy of ruling as the righteous king of humanity. But it included ruling over his people, his bride as their good, loving king. It included you. So Jesus, out of that joy of his love for you being fulfilled, he endured the cross. He endured all the, the, the pain, the lion's share of all the pain that he could have possibly taken. And there's no greater demonstration of, of the infinite, unending nature of God's love than that. If you're not a Christian here today, this is your invitation. Whatever you're living for, whatever love, whatever joy you're pursuing, it does not compare to this. So just come to Jesus. He's better than whatever the pittance of whatever you're getting from whatever sin you don't want to give up. It's worth nothing in comparison to this love. And if you are a Christian, my challenge to you is stop fighting to earn God's love. He loves you already with a love that is higher and wider and deeper and longer than you could ever know. So live in light of that love. All the heavenly riches are yours already in Jesus. So live because he loves you already. Not to earn his love, but because you have it. And that changes everything. Because God already loves you with a love that is high and wide and deep and long. Paul prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. So as this prayer is coming to a conclusion before his doxology or benediction, he wants for the love of God to 
brim overwhelmingly out of you. That you would be filled with the fullness of God. I think part of the challenge that we have in our culture is we just want God a little bit. Because if we think we just have God a little bit, then we think we have enough of Him. And if we have enough of God, then there is no more need to pursue Him any longer. And so we live within this lie that that we have about as much of God as we can handle. And then we become inoculated to Him the rest of our life, just believing that God is enough, but not having enough of Him in our hearts and our lives. Many of us know people who have sought after God, have found God, but their lives are not lived as a demonstration or pursuit of Him. I think Paul's prayer here is a prayer that says that our lives would be a constant, continual pursuit of God. He's praying to Christians that you would continually pursue after the one who pursues after you, the one who laid down his life, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul started this prayer that you would be strengthened in your inner being. And as he writes this from his prison cell block, on his knees as a scribe pins his words He is writing from a place of being full in God. Though having nothing, he is full in God. Can we say the same thing of our lives? Is our lives a testimony of the fullness of God or our continually pursuit for the fullness of other things? In fact, much of our lives is living in a way that rebels against God instead of pursuing after him. The Bible says that that's a result of our being dead in sin. Even as Christians, we continue to struggle with sin. Even as Christians, we, continue, we continually struggle with death. But yet, the great apostle tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So the, the love of God is not for everyone. God's love is not a pie in the sky that says that His love is universal upon mankind for salvation. I think it's important that we realize that when we talk about God's love. Because if we're going to understand the love of God, we have to understand God's hatred towards sin. We have to understand just how bad our sin is. You are so bad, says Tim Keller, that God had to die. But you are at the same time so dearly loved that Jesus gladly died. Pastor Dwight L. Moody, the famous evangelist, says, Before you can get people saved, you've got to get them lost. (laughs) Meaning that if we're going to understand salvation, we're going to have to understand the depths of our depravity. 
and how it is an injustice against the God of holiness, against the God of righteousness, against the God who is completely good and pure and perfect in every way. And that our unrighteousness is an affront to his righteousness and God has to do something about it. If God was not a just God, then we would want no part of him. But God is perfectly just. And in his perfect justice, he cannot allow for our sin to go unpunished. And what is a loving God to do with his own justice? He brings his love and justice together at the cross of Christ. And he puts our sin upon him. And he punishes him in our place. There's no greater demonstration of that than the cross, as Garen just said. I think about the cross, I think about one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible. It covers about two inches of your text in Scripture. It's the story of the two criminals, the thief on the cross. There's one to Jesus' left and there's one to Jesus' right. And these two criminals are a... Are evidence of the love of God and the wrath of God. Where one turns to the Christ who's on the cross as the crowd is mocking and jeering him. He turns and says the very same words. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. He didn't realize that Jesus was there not in order to bring salvation to himself. He's perfectly secure and saved in who God is. But he, the son of God, came to be the perfect sacrifice. He took the cross to despise the sin and the shame. Not that he deserved, but that we deserved. And the other the other criminal looked over at the thief on the cross. As he was dying alongside of this man, Jesus, and he saw something in the Savior. That would bring about this inner renewal for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal glory. That there's something to this man that would bring about a resurrection of his soul. And we see it in the Gospel of Luke. As he says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. The love of God takes our hell and gives us Christ's heaven. And that's the beauty of the love of God, the incomprehensible love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. That the thief was never baptized. He wasn't wasn't brought down from the cross and and taken into a pool of water and baptized. There's nothing that he could do after that. He, he, He never even read his Bible after God saved him. But yet he was filled with the fullness of God. If there's any story in the Bible that, that, that shows you that this is not dependent upon your effort, but everything about his effort, it's the story of the thief on the cross. And that's the story of our lives. 
That we're not the people who have it all together that somehow deserve God's love and affection. But God's love and affection comes to us not because we pursue after Him. But even when we're running as fast as we can the other way. And while we are running, He is chasing after us. And He grabs us and brings us in to His warm and precious love that came at a cost. So when we talk about God's love, we know that it comes with a cost. And we know that with God's love comes our paradise. That the ascended Lord, he's not on the cross, he's not dead in the grave. But the ascended Lord is the one who invites us to be with him. That the moment, that the moment that our breath leaves our life. We won't go into forever damnation. If you are a child of God, you will not go into eternal punishment, but you will be brought in to God's heavenly kingdom and the paradise with the savior and the thief because God gave that love. Being filled with the fullness of God means that we know that God alone fills but we also recognize that we're not full yet. And I think that's the question that I want us to leave with today is how are you today needing the fullness of God to fill you? That your life would be about the experiential pursuit of Jesus. That your life would be about you chasing after the Savior. That your life would be about you loving God all the days of your life. That like Paul says, though everything around me is wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing me for an eternal glory. The eternal glory that awaits us is better than anything this world has to offer. And are we satisfied with that love? And because of God's love in Christ, are we pursuing after that love. Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. This one who I've put my faith in. Now dwells in my hearts. In the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Can we repeat those words with the apostle? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Father, we long for you. God, this pursuit after you that, that I just described is, is one Holy Spirit that, God, you have to help us with. That, God, you would move us towards you. That your love would compel us to love you and to live our lives for your kingdom and glory. That God as Christ laid down his life, we would lay down our lives for you for the sake of a lost and broken world. That God, even now, we would realize that your love is breaking down barriers, setting us free. God, that you are setting you are setting us up above our fears. God, above the bondage and sin and brokenness. And 
you are calling us to a life that says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's worship. Would you stand to your feet?